All right, we are going to continue with the fifth of seven sessions in our series Side by Side. And we have some new pages for you today, five, in fact, pages. Uh, And if you didn't pick those up beginning on page 14, then you'll need a copy of today's lesson. And while they're distributing those, our midweek program is over for the summer. We will start up again in the fall. The last thing left is the Pinewood Derby for our community kids. That's this Wednesday at at 7. But there will be no adult uh, meeting uh, this Wednesday and not again until the fall. Also, this coming Saturday is the home plate Tigers baseball game. Testimonies from some of the Tigers who are believers. And we have just a a few tickets left for that. And you need to get those before you leave today because it is this Saturday. Those are available at the Resource Center Uh, out that door and across the hall. And I just wanted to let you know the schedule for this hour over the next several months. I mentioned some of this in the first hour, but we will conclude this series in two weeks. So today and the next two weeks, three more sessions and side by side. And then on the 22nd, we're privileged to have uh, he's one of our missionaries to Hanyash, and he's home on furlough. He's going to come and teach God's word, but also give us a report on his work there. So that'll be on the 22nd in three weeks. And then in four weeks, we will devote this time to a launch of a new ministry at our church, Stephen Ministry. We have a number of folks that have been going through some pretty intensive training for that. And we want to introduce that to the church because they are finishing up their their training and uh, uh, com- commission them to that that new ministry. So plan to be here for that so you can learn what Stephen Ministry is all about. In June, the four Sundays of June, uh, I will be leading our newcomers orientation. Those of you that have never taken our newcomers orientation, you should. And it will be June the 5th and the other three Sundays of June in one of our adult classrooms in another part of the building. And also at that same time, those of you that have joined since the last uh, new members class, you will have a new members class for you, but you'll get an email inviting you to that. My class, Newcomers Orientation, is open-ended to anybody who hasn't taken it, and uh, you need to take that so you know a good bit about our church as information to help you decide, is this the place that God would have you to join and grow and, and serve? It doesn't obligate you, but it just gives you information. And then after that, on the first Sunday of July, Dr. Combs is going to start a series called The Holiness Movement, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Isn't that what it's called? That's, that's what he's decided to call. The holiest, holiness movement, colon, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it will be fascinating to learn uh, some of the history of uh, things that have affected us, affected many of you. And if you don't know that history, you don't know how that has affected you. So uh, it's good to know that, and I'm sure you'll profit from it. That'll be in July. And then when Dr. Combs is finished with that, we'll finish the summer in here with... Uh, looking at current events from a biblical perspective. I'll be doing that. Then September 11th, Sunday, September 11th, we'll start a parenting class uh, in this in this hour and in this room. All right. Our series is side by side. Everybody have paperwork now? Anybody need? Good work, guys. Thank you for getting those distributed. And I just remind you as to what this series is about very quickly. God is relational. God has always been in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, In eternity past, now, and in eternity future. God is relational, so we are made 
for relationship. We're made in the image of God, and it's one of the reasons that the Bible says male and female he made them when it talks about him being made, uh, humanity being made in God's image. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, when God says it is not good for the man to be alone, and he specially makes the woman, marriage is one antidote, one answer to aloneness. But it's not the only answer to aloneness. Humanity, socializing, interacting, relating to one another is what we were made for, whether we are married or not. So God is relational. If we're going to reflect God, uh, part of that is in relationship. And we were made for that naturally. And now with the entrance of sin, we need relationships with one another to help us be conformed in the, into the image of, of Christ. We were made in the image of God, but that image has been marred by sin, and now we're being remade in the the image, and we need one another's help in doing that. So we need relationships both naturally, we were made for relationship, but we also need them spiritually. And that's why I have said relationship is for discipleship. Relationship is for the purpose of helping another person become more like Jesus. And that's the way I suggest you look at your relationships with whomever you are related. And certainly your immediate family, but also uh, people who are not related to you by, by blood. Relationship is for discipleship. And we are needy. Over the, last, over the last four weeks, we've been looking at the fact that we are needy people. We are needy, in need of one another's help in order to become like Jesus because we are sinful and we are frail. But we're also dishonest. We're dishonest about our sinfulness and our frailty. So we are sinful and we are weak, but we're dishonest. We're not transparent about the fact that we're sinful and weak. We put masks on. We try to make ourselves look better than than we really are. And that is why we have seen that we have to confess We need to be willing to confess to God, of course, our sin and our our weakness. But we also need to be able to confess, that is, say the same thing about who we are and what we struggle with to one another as well. And unless we're willing to do that, then we are not going to be able to get help and we're not going to be able to give help. Unless we're people who will be honest about who we are with one another then we're not going to be able to give help or get help. People won't know what you need because you don't act like you need anything. And if other people act like you do, that they don't need anything, you're not going to be able to help them. So we have got to then follow what the Scriptures tell us in terms of being transparent, in terms of being honest about who we are and what our needs are because of our sinfulness and our natural frailty. So we are needy. But today, top of page 14, you see it's we are needed. And today, in the next two weeks, we are going to look at that. We're needy, but we're also needed to help others. Top of page 14, apart from the Holy Spirit, we would be referral agents who simply introduce needy people to the real experts. Now, that sounds attractive to just about everybody here. You know, that's good. I like to have a Rolodex of people that I can refer folks who need help to. And 
uh, as we're going to see, there is a place, I think an important place, for people who are trained and gifted in particular areas to help folks. But the first line of help needs to come just from the fact that we are in the body of Christ, we love one another, we're transparent with one another, and we're willing to, to aid one another in likeness. And then there certainly will come times where you need the help of another brother or sister who's more gifted in a particular area than you are, maybe has training in that, to refer this person to. Stephen ministry is part of that. We've got folks who are training themselves to be folks to whom you can refer uh, when, uh, when that kind of help is needed. But the truth is we have professionalized ministry. And so much so that we think ministers are professional people. But a minister in the Bible, the the Greek word for minister in your New Testament is the word for servant. So everybody is a servant. Everybody who knows Jesus is a minister. Now we minister, we serve in different capacities to to be sure. And there are some who have gone for, for training to lead a church, to pastor a church and all of that. But we are all ministers. It's simply the the way, the role in which we are going to minister. So you need to see yourself that way. We need to see our church as a ministering body, not a stratified, hierarchical group of the people who do ministry and the people who watch them. And that ministry is primarily relational. It is to one another. Now, this professionalization of of ministry has affected relational ministry to one another, counseling to one another, such that many... Christians, certainly, and and even pastors, don't see themselves as equipped to counsel people. Instead, we need to send people to the professionals. Now, again, there are times for that. Uh, There are times where I've done that. So there are times for that. But I don't make that my first resort. I don't assume that I can't help somebody from the Word of God. I assume that I can't. And I assume that you can as well. And I do my level best to, to do that with the individual, whatever their, whatever their issue is. But there has been this professionalization. It, can, it continues so much so that many Christians kind of have these uh, compartmentalized areas of life. There's church, but then there's real help that you get outside of the church. And the word psychology, for example. Psychology comes from a Greek word, suke, uh, which means soul. And psychology is the study of the soul. Well, how are you going to study the soul? How are you going to study the soul apart from the Bible? Who knows anything about the soul? Other than the God who breathed the breath of life into the first man and he became a living soul. Where are you going to get information about how the soul operates and how it ticks? And this immaterial part of who we are requires the insights that only the Bible and the God of the Bible can, can give. So apart from the Holy Spirit, we would just be referral agents who simply introduce needy people to the real experts. Top of page 14, we would hold our tongue for fear that we would just make matters worse. But with the Spirit, we move toward other people and we're amazed that God uses ordinary people to do His work. Now it says, with the Spirit we do this. That's because the Spirit motivates us to do what's uncomfortable. 
The Spirit motivates you and me to do what's uncomfortable and outside our comfort zone for the sake of somebody else. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, love. So if I love somebody, and I do, I love people, I love my brothers and sisters if I have the Spirit, if the fruit of the Spirit includes love, which is doing what's in the best interest of another, then that motivates me to move outside of my comfort zone for the benefit of somebody else. With the Spirit, we move toward people. Now, having the Spirit does not mean, second paragraph there, that otherwise blank minds suddenly become streams of profound insight and comfort to those in need. We remain capable of saying stupid and hurtful things. But it does not mean that our ability, but it does mean that our ability to help will bear the marks of the Spirit, things like patience and kindness. So here's what that means. If you've, if you have the Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, you do have the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, then the fruit of, part of the fruit of the Spirit is, is patience and kindness. So you have patience and kindness, but that doesn't mean you've got it down. You've got this prerequisite of patience toward others, kindness toward others, but that doesn't mean you have things down. As a Christian who has read about ourselves in the pages of Scripture, we should know ourselves and should be increasingly comfortable with our capacity to stupidity. Let me say that again. We should know ourselves... And be increasingly comfortable with our capacity for stupidity. Hey, Larry's on to that. <laughs> that's good, Larry. But, you know, that, that's a matter of Christian humility. To simply see myself as someone who is capable of messing things up. Well, okay. I mess things up. I say dumb stuff. And you should, I should, be increasingly more comfortable with, with who we are because we've read about who we are and thankfully who we are has been redeemed. God knows who we are. We should know who each other is because we've read about each other in the book. So we shouldn't have to put on then these airs like I've got it together and I always say the right thing. Now, if you're willing to have that love, to move towards someone and the humility to risk it, that you're going to say dumb things, if you're willing to do that, now you can begin to engage in this personal ministry. But absent that, you won't. You'll step back, you'll be in your own cocoon, and you'll be afraid that you're going to look dumb to, to somebody else. Third paragraph, the Spirit gives us the wisdom of God. This wisdom overlaps with wisdom that we gather from books, careful observations, but it goes deeper. It's a wisdom rooted in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It is crammed with guidance from the Father through Christ, wisdom that could we could never discover on our own. So as an example, when we are feeling utterly worthless, we can ignore it, we can debate it, or we can succumb to it. The best wisdom of the world can't get us much further than those. But in contrast, the wisdom of God reveals this. Worthlessness is about our connections. Now, we'll elaborate on that in a second. But that's wisdom, being able to see that. So let's remind ourselves of what 
biblical wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is the application of truth. It's the ability to apply truth to situations, to circumstances. In James chapter 1, you have circumstances described there. Uh, A number of them. The, The brother of low degree needs to rejoice in that he is exalted, says James chapter 1. You've got the person who has wealth. That's a circumstance that can be a temptation to sin. You've got all these circumstances. You've got trials in in verse 2 of James chapter 1. But in the midst of that, in verse 5 of James 1, it says, many of you know, let him who lacks what? Wisdom. Ask of God. Let him who, who lacks wisdom, who lacks the ability to apply the truth he knows to this circumstance he's in. And if you lack that ability, ask God. And that's a prayer that God will answer. Now, I need to modify what I just said. That's a prayer that God will answer. The truth is God answers every prayer. (laughs) The answer might be not now. (laughs) The answer might be no. (laughs) But this is a prayer for wisdom that God answers in the affirmative. You pray for wisdom, God God will give you the ability to, to make application of his truth. Now, the prerequisite there is that you know his truth. And this insight of wisdom, in that fourth paragraph, the wisdom of God reveals that worthlessness is about connections. Well, that comes, that application comes from knowing something about the God who is relational and the God who made us to be connected to him. And the fact that that connectedness has been broken by sin and salvation reconnects us to God and, and one another. Now, you have to know that truth. And then knowing that truth, you apply it. You know, I'm feeling worthless or I'm talking to someone who's feeling utterly worthless. But the wisdom of God reveals worthlessness is about these connections. We're connected to things that have been forced on us, like the sins of others. Or we connect our seeing ourselves to things that we have chosen Hobbies, work, even people. And it turns out that none of these are sufficient in themselves to make us whole. The deeper wisdom of God reveals that by faith we are connected to Jesus. And then we investigate that wisdom for the rest of our lives in order to understand him more fully. If you have the Spirit, and if you're a Christian you do, says Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, then you are eminently qualified to help others, except there's one other qualification. And that's under that next heading. You have to be an ordinary person. You don't have to be an extraordinary person. You have to be an ordinary person. And you have to communicate that you're an ordinary person. You know, you you can read that and you can be saying to yourself, well, yeah, of course I'm an ordinary person. One, will be the judge of that. But two, but, but two, what I mean here is that you need to act like an ordinary person. You need to communicate to others that you're a regular, ordinary person. Because if you don't do that, you won't be able to relate to other people. They won't be able to relate to you. This has been a, a, a problem in churchianity for a lot of years. And that is, in the church, we act different than we really are. 
And that comes to us from the top down. (laughs) Pastors act different in the pulpit than they really are. Now, when I mean act different, I don't mean hypocritical. I mean, there's that. But I'm talking about put on a different persona. Have you ever seen that? Like when that guy gets in the pulpit, he becomes a different guy. He's like a raging maniac. He's like sweating and spitting and yelling. Who is this guy? And there's this, there's this doctrine, this notion, this theology that suggests that that's the way spiritual work happens. That rather than through ordinary people using their ability to communicate with other people as best they can from the heart of an ordinary person to one to another, rather than that being the case, there is this, there's this division between the real world and the spiritual world, a dualism. And in the spiritual world, it's just different. You know, you don't communicate spiritual truth the way you communicate other truth. You know, there, there's some other oomph that God gives you. And that oomph shows up in you yelling and spitting and, and all of that. And I'm telling you, there are people who think you ain't preaching until you do that. Now, you notice, I don't do that. And the reason I don't do that is because I don't believe that at all. I believe that I'm the same person standing here that I am when I'm down there. And I'm an ordinary person communicating to you in ordinary ways as best I can. And to one another, we got to do the same thing. And it, I say it starts from the top, but it doesn't end there. What happens in those kinds of churches is people develop a pietistic approach to the Christian life. They see that from the leadership and then they develop this sort of otherworldly approach to their relationship with God. And that comes off then in their relationships to one another. So this idea of being an ordinary person and communicating that you're an ordinary person, I'm a regular guy, I'm a regular gal, and I've got struggles like you do, and I sin like like you do, and I have weaknesses like, like you do. But... Habits die hard. Consider a woman having problems with her children. She's in a small group. She could talk to an ordinary person there. Her church had a pastoral staff, so she could ask one of the pastors. She also knew a very smart Bible scholar, so she could ask him. As a good American, she chose the scholar. Within a minute or two, and bored out of her mind, she began to realize that wisdom is not found in mere knowledge. While there's certainly a place for expertise, we, are, we aren't necessarily going to want help from the person who has access to the most information. We want help from someone with godly wisdom, and that wisdom which resides fully in Jesus is in the public domain. <laughs> now, this is a bit of an aside, but in that, I find, I find great hope in the midst of darkness and difficulty in our culture and in our age, in our day. That people in our day have access to information like they never have at any other time in history. Isn't that true? I mean, you could download, you know, instructions for developing a bomb in our day. You can find anything on the Internet. You've got access to information. But information is not the same thing as wisdom. And guess who's got the wisdom? We do. 
And people, people see the despair that their lack of wisdom leads them to. And so I've said this a number of times over the years that as the darkness deepens, the light shines all the brighter. And one of the ways that shines is in the wisdom that we are able to impart to what's going on in our world. So take heart, friends. The world's a mess and we've got the answer to the mess. Okay. Bottom of page 14. This wisdom is in the public domain. Romans 15 and verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and you're competent to instruct, that's the word for counsel, one another. These brothers and sisters are the regular saints in in Rome. So, are you feeling ordinary or a little less so? Do you have the Spirit? If so, you're just the person God's looking for. When you in your weakness move toward others, you honor God and are more powerful than you know. You are qualified by the Spirit. And then as we move, uh, as, as we do this, as we commit to moving out of our comfort zone because we love and the Spirit is motivating us to love, do what's in the best interest of another, then we, we imitate Jesus as we move toward them. Jesus relentlessly pursued and invited the marginalized and outcasts to be with him. Our picture of kings is that they are cordoned off from the public, like the Ming dynasty emperors of China living in their forbidden city. In contrast, our king does not simply leave the castle door ajar so a brave subject can enter unannounced. He goes out to the people in everyday garb and personally invites them to stay with him. God comes to us. That is grace. And it starts cycles of grace through the body of Christ. Jesus is a different kind of king. Now, this is a real aside. But I think that truth uh, contradicts something that I've heard for a lot of years. And that is... People debate how you should dress. I don't know if you've ever been involved in one of these debates, how you should dress when you go to church. And one of the statements that's sometimes made is, look, if you were going to see a king, you would dress up. So we got King Jesus. And so, you know, if you're going to go see an earthly king, how much more should you? So next week, it is tuxedos and dresses for all of you guys, okay? But my answer to that, I've, I've talked to people, my answer to that is, is we certainly need to be respectful of the one in whose presence we gather. But the one in whose presence we gather is a different kind of king than the king you're talking about. And he's not about all of the pomp and ceremony and circumstance that they are. He's a different king. And he's different in so many ways. And one of those ways is he doesn't say, come to me. He comes to you. Our God has come to us. Now imagine then if we do that, if we take the initiative and we go to others. Imagine how this can transform our churches. Instead of talking to the same people, those with whom we are comfortable and who are similar to us, we treat others as God has treated us. Imagine how aloneness could gradually be banished. Now we're going to get into, in the remaining pages here, then a challenge to us to move toward others. Come out of your comfort zone and and look for people who are not in your demographic. 
people who are not similar to you. Now, it sounds great, and it's fun to imagine, but it's difficult to practice, which is as it should be. If it were easy, we could just do it without God's help. And God is interested, very interested in us needing his help (laughs) and us desperately needing his help. Now, why? Why does God care about us needing his help? Because God wants the credit. God wants the glory. So God likes it when we're put in positions that we're not cut out for. So it sounds great. It's fun to imagine, difficult to practice, but that's as it should be. If it were easy, we would simply do it without God's help. But since it's hard, unnatural, and at times impossible, we're driven back to Jesus, help me. But make no mistake, to move toward others is hard. There are some people we don't click with. Some we don't like. And some who have wronged us. It is good to move toward others, but it's not easy. So how do you start? I'm just a font of wisdom. And I say start at the beginning. Okay? How profound is that? Start at the beginning. I think I'm quoting the Wizard of Oz when I say that. And let's say we actually made it and are face-to-face with a real person. All right, so we motivated by the Spirit, loving another person, having patience and kindness, and wanting to help them in relationship become more like Jesus. Convinced that that's a good thing to do. I've got to start at the beginning. So first thing is for you to be convinced of that. And let's say you've done that now, and you're face-to-face with a real person. Then what happens? The thought of awkward silences and feeling a little stupid puts this entire plan in jeopardy. So what do we say? Start small. Greet the person. Greetings are not a form of politeness from a bygone era. They are skills that imitate the Lord. They show respect and kindness to others, and we are meant to grow in them. Here's one of the greetings of the Apostle Paul at the end of his letter to the Corinthians. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we don't have to kiss someone when we greet them in our culture. But when we move toward others, we're to greet them with familial warmth. Since we've been invited and welcomed and greeted by the Lord, and you'll see that in Isaiah 45 and 55, we have the opportunity to reciprocate. But there are so many people we could greet. And we don't want to just become serial greeters who offer a brief and boisterous good morning and then move to the next person and offer the same greeting. Consider who it is when we are in each other's company that we are greeting. They are children of the king, your brothers and sisters. Some of them might feel lost, all the more reason to greet them. Others might be seeking something but are unsure what that is. You've got the privilege to invite them to a place here that could become their home. Others we've seen before, but we don't know their names. And all of this, of course, that next paragraph takes time. This means our greeting list might be short because we only have a finite amount of time when the church is gathered. You can't greet everyone. So prioritize this way. You see those bullet points? Prioritize the guest. What Scripture calls the foreigner or alien comes first. Now these are practical suggestions for you now to begin to put into practice. If you're convinced that you are to be in relationship with others, Now make it a point to say, I am going to 
initiate relationship with others by greeting them and greeting the guest, the person you don't know. And then the guest who shows up again, who comes, who comes back. And the less popular introverts and marginalized or those who are just alone, sitting or maybe in the case of cafe community, standing alone. And you're looking purposely for those people. And you say, hi, that's offered to as many people as possible. And that doesn't have to be accompanied by a hug or a handshake. I mean, that's down the list. So you're, you're, you're bringing these people in who are guests, people who are the less popular, the introverts. Now notice this next line. Good friends are interspersed through these greetings, but they are left for later if time is short. I'm just going to park there for a minute. Uh, They're left for later. Now, why are they left for later? Because the truth is, if they're people you know well, then you're going to have other time to interact with them. If you're going to make the most of the time you have when we're gathered, then you should follow something like this priority list. And people you know well don't need to, to talk to you right then while you've got other people to greet. And while presumably they're doing the same thing. And if you're in the greeter ministry, okay, if you're somebody who's in the greeter ministry, where we've got two greeter ministries, we've got the outer doors and we've got the inner doors. So I think we call you greeters if you're at the outer doors and ushers if you're at the inner doors. But if you're at either one of those, then you're not greeting the people you know at that time. You're not, at that time, talking to your best friend about whatever went on this week. So that you can do this very kind of thing. You come with your game face on. That is, you come ready to be engaged in, in the game. And when I say game, a very serious game of reaching out to people. And that's for all of us and for some that are devoted to a particular ministry to that, to that end. A reasonable target, middle of that page, is to greet one person we don't know or don't know well every time we gather with others in the body of Christ. What a great thing that would be if you were to say and introduce yourself and seek to get to know someone you don't know or don't know well. And if you feel a little awkward, all the better. Some are naturals at doing this, greeting them, striking up a conversation. Most of us are not. So we pray that we'll share in this feature of God's character, moving toward others, not because we can do these with ease, but for Christ's sake, because of Jesus. So we're seeking to do that, make that contact, so that we can then have thoughtful conversations. Once the greetings are over, the pleasure of knowing someone begins. This means having thoughtful conversations, those that go below the surface of the niceties. We're not aiming to draw out problems so we can be helpers. We're simply interested in knowing another person, which is a basic feature of everyday love. But it doesn't always start well. We've all had the experience of initiating a conversation with someone who does not engage, but simply throws the ball back to you with monosyllabic, single-word answers, right? So, you from around here? Yeah. You lived here long? Yep. Uh, know anybody here? Did anybody invite you here? Yeah. 
Care to elaborate? Uh, no. All right. Well, then back off, okay? You know, don't, during Cafe Community, go yell, Hey, I got one of those guys you were talking about. Right over here. But it is hard when, when, when people do that, right? So it can be awkward, but don't let it discourage you from moving toward him and those like him. As you do this in the name of Jesus, you're doing a fine thing. And success is measured differently in God's economy. Faithfulness is success. If you're faithful, you're successful. No matter how people respond. You can't control how people respond. All you can control is your faithfulness in moving toward them. And who knows, maybe that person will keep coming to church and after another dozen greetings, he might begin to trust you with a few more details. Now, I have seen this happen. And I'm going to embarrass my dear wife, but Kim is relentless at doing this. And I remember one instance in particular where someone just would not respond, would not respond to my greetings, to her greetings. And, you know, I do it a few times and, and I'm like, fine, be that way. I'm just, okay, I got another confession to make here in a minute. That's okay, if that's the way you want it, fine. I'm, that's what I did. And Kim just keeps going at it, keeps going at it. And then sometime later, this person writes a card and says, thank you for continuing to come after me. And, uh, you know, you, we didn't know it was having any good effect at all. But it was. Now, the other confession involves me and Pastor Matt. And we used to, before we got this building, some of you know, we rented office space on Van Horn near Fort Street. Matt had an office and I had an office. And there was a young man who started working for one of the other businesses in that building. And we would see him and I would see him and I would greet him and he wouldn't respond. And I would greet him and he wouldn't respond. And I did what I tend to do. Fine, be that way. And I'm talking to Matt and, and Matt says, hey, what about this guy? And I go, I know. And, uh, and then I find out later that he's deaf. So there are your two pastors. <laughs> walking the walk. Out there in the office in the everyday world. But really, it's very convicting, right? You know, I make a judgment about this guy. Matt actually, I, I love to tell him Matt. Matt actually used the word jerk. Okay? So we make a judgment about the guy. And the truth is we don't know him. And, then, and it turns out he's deaf. So I'm judging him based upon his lack of response, his facial expressions or lack thereof and all of that, and judging him wrongly. So, faithfulness is success. Now here's an initial script, bottom of page 16. During a first meeting, we usually have a few prepared remarks, stock questions. Hey, I don't think we've met. I'm Ken. Have you been here before? Do you live in the area? Have you lived here for a while? Subsequent conversations have their standard lines, too. Nice to see you again. Have you been? How about those tigers? Beautiful weather, isn't it? You might not want to use that. 
There are many other questions that help us identify the events, circumstances, and influence in one another's lives. And remember, we had a list of circumstances back on pages two and three when we started this series. And so now you're going beyond to getting to know something about their circumstances. Things like, are you married? Do you have any kids? What kind of work do you do? Are you going away this summer? What are you doing for the holidays? Where do you live? Where did you grow up? What's happening in your life? Everyone in your family healthy? These are fine questions, but like appetizers before a good meal, we don't want to get filled up on them because they ask for nothing personal. Good conversations go a little farther. And they go a little farther this way. Middle of page 17, by listening for the person expressing what really motivates them, what really makes them tick. Follow the affections. We hope to learn what's important to the person we're talking to, which is another way of saying we hope to hear what is on his or her heart. The way in is to listen for what is dear, what is loved, what is feared, what's hard. We listen for how someone feels. For example, when certain, we certainly want to know the age and names of someone's children, but we also want to hear stories about the children that reveal parental affection, hopes, and griefs. We're listening for signs of what animates them, signs of life. So, a question about the holidays might reveal the pleasure or pain of gathering with extended family. You see that? Hey, you going anywhere for the holiday? Spending time with family? And they go, uh, yeah. Oh, my in-laws, man. Yikes. By the way, mom and dad, I don't say this. My, my... I got to be careful. My in-laws are members of the church here, so (laughs) I don't say this. But, you know, people notoriously have in-law problems and they don't look forward to. And you got this thing coming up and they say, yeah, well, you hear that. That matters to them. And that's something you're going to want to pray about for them. We'll get to that praying about it piece in a bit. But the first thing is you're listening for those things that that strike an emotional chord with them. Things that are affecting them. All right, now we have to stop there. And we will pick it up there next week. We've got two more weeks of side-by-side. Let's ask the Lord to help us as we go. Father, we thank you for the blessings of this day again and the opportunity to be together and to learn of you and to praise you. And Lord, we've seen much in your word and much that we need to practically apply So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to motivate us to do that because we want to emulate Jesus, because we want to honor you and please you. Help us not then to be hearers only, but to be doers of your word. And we ask you to go with us this week. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.